So I am going to dive right into this chapter. I um, tried to come up with a really great illustration or example that I could um, start with to to jump into this chapter. But the more I looked at these verses, the more I thought, oh, we need to get going or we're going to be listening to something that's not really that valuable. And God's word is really valuable. My examples this week were not. So we're going to look at um, verses 2 through 15 today. Um, we're going to look at those pretty closely. So let's remember that the last three chapters of Joshua are his last words to the Israelites. In Joshua 22, he spoke to the Reubenites Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh about obedience to God and unity among the people of God. In Joshua 23, Joshua spoke to the elders and heads, judges and officers, and warned them to be obedient to all that was written in the book of the law of Moses and to cling to the Lord. In this final chapter of the book of Joshua and the final chapter of Joshua's life, he gathers all of the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Let's remember that Shechem is an important place in the history of Israel. We've been talking through our entire study of Joshua about God's faithfulness to fulfill his promises. The promise that has been fulfilled was made at Shechem when the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land over 400 years before where we're standing now at Shechem. We saw that in Genesis 12, 6 and 7. They now stand in the place of the promise with the promise fulfilled by the faithfulness of God in his timing. In verses 2 through 3 of chapter 24, we see a review of God's covenant history with the Israelites. Dale Dale Ralph Davies says of this section, How plainly does this declare that the hand of God is in human history? In these verses, we see Joshua presenting facts are indicatives about how God has dealt with the Israelites since that promise to Abraham. Joshua uses the words of God himself to remind the Israelites of what God, not them, has done. So let's look at the indicatives we see in these verses. First, we see God's grace. In verse 2, the Israelites are reminded that their fathers, as well as the father of Abraham, served other gods. Then God took Abraham. God chose Abraham, not because Abraham was already a pillar of faith or even that Abraham was a good man. John Calvin says in his commentary on this verse that Abraham had no particular excellence of his own which could diminish the grace bestowed on him. Abraham was drawn out by the hand of God, not through any merit of his own. The Israelite story began with grace. Our story also begins with the grace of God. God extended his grace to us from the very beginning of our individual redemption stories. We had nothing to offer him, no excellencies of our own, and yet God extended grace and chose us. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that it, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Another indicative or fact we see about God in this historical review is God's power. We see this in verses 5 and 6, verse 8, and verses 11 and 12. God sent Moses and Aaron. He plagued Egypt and brought their fathers out of Egypt. God brought them to the land of the Amorites, and God gave the Amorites into their hand. God destroyed them. 
God gave their enemies, the leaders of Jericho, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, all into the Israelites' hand. God fought with them. God sent the hornet, which drove the two kings of the Amorites out. It was not by the Israelites' sword or bow. The Israelites received their strength from the Lord. We, too, received power from God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us, But we have this, treasures in, treasure in jars of clay, which is the light of the gospel, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In verses 9 and 10, Joshua, using God's words, is reminding the Israelites of God's protection. God delivered the Israelites out of the hand of Balaam. I didn't have great recollection of the story and in this part of the Israelites' history, so I had to go back and read it in Numbers 22. Balaam was a pagan prophet, and he was summoned by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse the Israelites. Balaam ultimately heads off on his donkey with the princes of Moab. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord, which is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. The donkey turns, lies down, and refuses to go any further. Balaam strikes the donkey, and the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey, who asks Balaam why he struck him three times. Yes, the donkey is talking. The angel of the Lord shows himself to Balaam, and he ends up speaking God's words of blessing over the Israelites rather than the curse that Balak was looking for. God protected the Israelites from Balaam and Barak in a powerful, unique way. No man could have made that donkey talk. It was clearly of God. There was no way that the protection of God's people could be attributed to anything or anyone other than God. God protects his people. He has promised his protection to us. In Isaiah 41.10, we are told to fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. We also see God's provision for the Israelites, and we see that in verses 7 and 13. In verse 7, and when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. God provided a method of escape from the Egyptians, and he provided for them while they lived in the wilderness. I do want to point out the pronoun change in verse 7. Up to this point, and immediately after, God is referring to himself in the first person, I. I brought, I plagued, I sent. But in verse 7, he changes the pronoun, and rather than saying, I put darkness, God says, he put darkness. Camille, my daughter, pointed this out to me last Thursday, and she and I spent quite a bit of time chasing the reason for this change. We referred back to the cross-references, which pointed us to Exodus 14, 19. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. In Exodus, this was another Christophany. It is God the Father referring to God the Son. This is a reminder that Jesus has always been. He didn't begin when God sent him to earth as a provision for our sin. He has always been an active participant in God's plan. 
Christ is the provision of God for reconciliation. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I also love John 1, 16, which says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. This refers to Jesus, who became flesh and dwelt among us. In Joshua 24, 13, we see the Israelites reminded of God's provision through the land. They had not labored in cities they did not build. They, God gave them land that they had not labored in and cities they did not build and the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that they did not plant. God provided for their physical needs and for the safety of their lives. God also provides for us physically, but more importantly, he provides for our spiritual needs and promises eternal life. Joshua shifts in verse 14 from the indicative of who God is, what he has done for the Israelites, to the imperatives, or to what is required of the Israelites. With the words, now, therefore, he is telling the Israelites that because of what has come before, because of these things that God has done, you must now respond. In verses 14 and 15, I see three imperatives. Fear God serve the Lord, and choose this day whom you will serve. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Recently, our senior pastor and our pastor of athletics spent some time on Wednesday evenings teaching us about the fear of God. I want to share with you a few things that they shared with us. Later in Joshua 24, 19, we see Joshua telling the Israelites that God is holy. In Exodus 3, the angel of the Lord another Christophany, appears to Moses in a burning bush. God called to Moses out of the burning bush. In verses 5 and 6, then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Moses was afraid to look at God. The only right response to the holiness of God is the fear of God. Proverbs 8.13 tells us that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Micah 6.8 gives us a description of someone who fears the Lord. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The Israelites had seen the holiness of God And as Joshua reminds them, they are to fear God. We, too, are to fear God. If we do not fear God, it is because we have never seen his holiness. We have only to look at his word to see his holiness. Joshua also tells the Israelites that they are to serve the Lord. We have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to serve the Lord? Joshua reminds the Israelites that it means to put away all other gods. It means that your number one focus is on the one true God. Serving means obedience to God's word. It means having no idols, nothing that replaces God in your life. In these verses, the word serve is used 12 times. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very grace. So service means we are to be obedient to the Lord and we are to do the Lord's work. And lastly, in verse 15, Joshua tells the Israelites, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. The Israelites know who the one true God is. Joshua is implying here that everyone will serve something. If not the one true God, we will serve something else that is a false God. The Israelites cannot serve God and any other God, and they can't not serve some God. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Joshua goes on in the rest of the chapter to emphasize that choosing to serve the one true God is not as easy as just saying it. There will be trials and temptations along the way. And if the Israelites are going to incline their hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel, they need to be prepared to put away their idols. In their culture, there were many things seeking their attention to pull them away from their commitment to God. That's true of our culture as well. We are easily tempted by money, status, and many other things that can become idols in our lives. Choosing to serve the one true God means we have to continuously be on guard to put away the things of the world that would become our idols. 1 John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Joshua 24.29 tells us that after these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. I'm a little sad to be leaving Joshua. We've seen so much about God in the stories of Israel's history in taking possession of the land God had promised to Abraham. We know that while Israel makes a commitment to serve the Lord, they don't always live up to that commitment. In fact, they are incapable of living up to that commitment. We are much like the Israelites. We cannot live up to our commitment to the Lord in our own power, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we close today, I want us to remember the facts. God is a God of grace. God is a God of power. God protects his people, and God provides for his people. In light of those facts, I urge you to ask yourself the following questions. Do I fear God? How am I serving God? And what stands in the way of me totally and exclusively serving the one true God? As Joshua said, choose this day whom you will follow, because you will follow either the one true God or something else that is a God in your life. May it be the one true God. Let's pray. Father, you are the one true God, and we are so thankful for you. We are overwhelmed at your grace and your power and your provision and your protection, Lord. We are overwhelmed that you would call us to serve you. May we um, never forget your holiness. May we be in awe of your holiness. May we respond rightly to your holiness, Lord. May we choose you in each and every situation because you chose us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.